Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I feel like you should really appreciate your come up. It's the most romantic part of your career. When you get past all the bullshit, then you're like, really, this was great. And it did happen for a reason, and the universe did make it go this way. A lot of the relationships that we put ourselves through are very temporary. People come in your life for a reason. Those reasons are the stories that you tell to other people. I think it's such a beautiful time right now where people are really being encouraged to celebrate their culture and celebrate their differences and celebrate things that we've maybe been made to feel ashamed of. Yo, what's up? What's up? It's Sean Leon. Hi, it's Myrna. What's up, guys? This is Khalid. Hey, what's up? It's Ali. You're listening to The Come Up Show. Get inspired. Hey, welcome to The Come Up Show podcast. My name is Chetto. I'm the host and founder of The Come Up Show. And my special guest today is Caden Sweppin. Originally from Edmonton, this guy has had an amazing career and life. Going from Edmonton to Montreal and now currently living in Toronto, he's got a new record out that is self-titled that he feels is a rebirth and a most honest representation of him. I had enjoyed this interview a lot, man. There's a ton of great moments, and he's talking spicy. Kate is swept on the Come Up Show podcast. Let's go! Please introduce yourself. My name is Caden Sweppin. Welcome to the Come Up Show, my brother. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm great. How long have you been in uh, Toronto now, man? I have been living here for two and a half years. Two yeah. and a half yeah. years. From? Uh, well, I was living in Montreal before that. I lived there for like six years. Mm. But I am originally from Edmonton. Edmonton. And yeah. you, it's, is it, do you always make sure you mention that? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm always going to be from... Some people, some people are like ashamed from... Uh, I'm a, I'm from London, Ontario. Yeah. But I make sure I say I am from, originally from London, Ontario. I mean, if I don't say it, who's going to, right? Mm. Right. And I feel like you know that's my um, it's my rep. You know, like I, I'm I'm proud of being from Edmonton. You know, yeah. I, it's it's it just goes with my whole thing. It's an original place. You know, mm. to be a rapper from, and I make original rap music. So. Mm. Are Grand and Lock from Edmonton or no? They're not. They're from uh, Winnipeg. Winnipeg. Yes. The neighbor. Uh, not really. Door. Nowhere near. No, it's oh, pretty far. Am I really. off? It's like hours drive. Because the provinces are so big. Where, okay, it's Winnipeg. Then what's and, what's and, next? And then there's Saskatchewan. Oh, Saskatchewan. Which is okay. a whole big province. Yeah, huge. Yeah. And yeah. then you keep going. Yeah. And then, then eventually you yeah. get to Edmonton. Okay. I've noticed that a lot. Of people here they um they, they sometimes what? think in you know, Ontario and stuff. Yeah. They often think you know. The whole rest of the country is just all mashed together. Yeah. It's <laughs> so like, I get like, oh, are you from Winnipeg? Are you from Regina? Are you from Calgary? Mm. But no, I'm from Edmonton. You're from Edmonton. Shout out Grand Analog, though. Grand Analog, yeah. yeah. Uh, and what's the name? Is there people, is there a name for Edmonton? Like the city, like Hamilton is Steel City or London is Forest City. Uh, is there anything for Edmonton? Yeah, like yeah. There's no? a few. There's like E-Town. My, E-town. my dad actually invented that slang. E-Town. E-Town. Okay. Yeah. And um, 
for a while I was you know a lot of my friends we were saying Dirt City Dirt City Dirt okay. City but um it's it's that's up in the air right now that's like it was kind of controversial when I, I I named my album Hope in Dirt City yeah yeah and people were like uh, didn't really it, it, everyone didn't know the slang basically mm. so it didn't like work that great that's the con- that's not the controversial part the controversial part is calling it dirt basically is the Probably. yeah is is the is the suggestion that it's like dirty but the idea was was like this kind of like workman like you know gritty kind of vibe you mm. know and it's just like it's like almost self-deprecating <laughs> yeah and uh you're here you got a new album i do I Which do. is the, what number in the discography? This is my fourth album. Your fourth album. <laughs> Whenever I say that, I think yeah. of the Mad Rapper from yeah. the uh, from the Biggie skit. He's like, yeah. "This is my fourth <laughs> album." Yeah, yeah. But and yeah, it actually hot. it actually is. Yeah. Your fourth album. Congratulations. How does it feel? It feels really release? good. Yeah. Why does it feel good? Well, I feel like this is my most complete album. Mm-hmm. I feel like it represents what I want to do with music more than any album I've ever done before, and it it just feels like. The, the ultimate encapsulation of Cadence Weapon. That's why, why I made it self-titled, too. Why, why, do you, why do you say that? Well, I feel like when you combine just the different, like, genres that I touch on, you know, uh, the different kinds of rap songs, like, I pride myself on having different kinds of flows, like, throughout an album, and just the diversity of it, but also the, the singularity of my voice, I think is very uh, strong on this album, particularly. I feel like... Um, I really put a lot of work into the lyrics and just like the songwriting in general. And, you know, I, I let other people focus on the production for the first time because mm. all my other albums are produced by me. And uh, I feel like this is just my ultimate like lyrical statement. Mm. Yeah. And letting so you're also a producer. Uh, you've produced you've produced most of your stuff. Yeah. My first three albums I, I produced. All produced. Yeah. So this majority let other people come in. Yeah, yeah, and it was, like, on on a vibe where I would, you know, get in the studio with them, and we would, like, hang out, or it was, like, somebody's home studio, or, like, Mm -hmm. I definitely wanted to have that, like, kind of collaborative human element Mm -hmm. to the way that I was recording this album, you know, Mm because I found, like, my older music, it could get kind of insular and almost, like, kind of, like, lonely, you know, like, the kind of, like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, writing all the songs, I'm producing all the songs, I'm, like, recording myself, I'm, like, it's, like, all, like, in in my head, you know, so... It was nice to work with other people on this one. I wonder, is there like a multiplier effect when you get other people involved or no? It multiplies the vibes for sure. I mean, I think it's always important. That's why, you know, when you see like these big rappers, like they've got like, you know, 12 co-writers and stuff and like a million people in the studio because everybody has a good idea usually, but they necessarily won't be able to make a good song on their own. But you put all 12 people together who have, like, the fragment of a good idea, and that's how you get, like, these great songs, mm-hmm. right? Like, Kanye is obviously an example of that. Yeah, 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 like yeah. he has so many writers and just whatever. He's you know. he, he operates like Michelangelo. Yeah. You know, like, he's, like, he's, you know, he comes up with the general idea for the Sistine Chapel, mm-hmm. but then he has the other people painting it individually, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, but, but like, uh, since you didn't usually like collaborate with people, like I, I think in the past you had like trouble, like, you know, letting people come into the mix or like giving up ownership a little bit. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm definitely have a very strong vision when I'm making an album. And in the past, I kind of 
wondered if people wouldn't really understand or like be able to like how how would I roll these people into my my own music, you know? And so that was like a really big focus that I had for this album mm. is that I was like, okay, I'm going to collaborate, work with as many people as possible, people from all kinds of different genres and just like just be totally open. And uh, I think the process has created some like really like fun mm. like like live like energetic music you know that that feels like you know you know when you listen to like some party rap and it's like oh this sounded like fun to make mm. i always wanted to have that feeling like and i party feel... and bullshit like my big exactly example, exactly like, you want to be there yeah yeah i gave yeah. I, I try to bring people to like the vibe that i'm mm. creating you know like a song like high rise on the album you know it's that's produced by jacques green who's you know a house dj house producer like really well known in that world and um, it really feels like, you know, it's got that club energy, but it's like this dark club energy. And like we, you know, we vibed out and like hung out and just talked about it. And like he's like making the beat and I'm like rapping behind him. And then like it, we're just building up, building it up. And it's just very organic. Mm. Yeah. I wonder like why you're doing that. And like say when you're making High Rise, because you made like over these years, you made like say 100 songs, I believe. Right. Like a yeah, lot yeah. of songs. Yeah. I, I wrote tons of songs. Yeah. Like this track, High Rise, is an example. Mm -hmm. In that, when you're making that song, did you know that this is your make? Were you in album mode? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, okay. I mean, the whole time I was doing it, it was like, this is working towards like a larger whole. But I didn't really think about, you know, what that would be. Maybe it would be an EP. Maybe it would be an album. Maybe it would be just like a couple tracks, whatever. But then by the end of the process, I was like, this is like, there were enough songs that like felt good together, you know. And that was like a song where instantly after I got it back, I was like. Yeah, this is really hot. Like, it gives you that feeling, and I start it, you know? A lot of the songs I made up on the album, like, I was like, yeah, this is like, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling like it has that feeling that I need, you know? Mm. What's, what is it? What do you, what's, like, what gives you that feeling? What is it? The beat? What are you saying when you're, is, you said you're getting back? What I, are you getting I, back? I think yeah. what it is, is yeah. it's like, just, just the feeling that I've achieved uh, what I set out to do in a very complete way. You know, it's like it's not like, oh, I need to like bring this back. Maybe I should get this other person to play on this. Like, you know, the songs that ended up on the album, they're all like, oh, yeah, this has that like instant feeling, like almost like an out of body feeling to them where it's like, OK, yeah, this is like the world. I've created the world of this song completely. Mm. That's very interesting. Uh, so, you know, like High Rise, an example. Let's talk about that song. High yeah, Rise, yeah, because, yeah. Uh, uh, what is that song about? Okay, so the song yeah. High Rise is definitely inspired by living in Toronto. Mm. And basically when I first moved here, just trying to find, you know, a place to live was really difficult. You know, it was just heavily competitive, you know, looking at like over 25 different places around town. What were you looking for? You know, just like yeah. a house. Okay. You know, or like, a, you know, like a, a place that wasn't like a condo, basically. A place that was not a condo. Okay. And... What I ended up, you know, going through this whole process, it was just felt hopeless. And then I just started thinking about just the whole um, social mechanism that has made it so difficult for me to find a place here. But it was so much more easy to find a place in a place like Montreal, where like artists are really factored into the equation, you know. And I got into this whole thing where I wanted to write a song where it was like this, like, you know, sarcastic, satirical anthem for gentrification. You know, and this was my way of like fighting against what was going on with me personally. So mm. that's what High Rise is about. It's very timely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I just heard the other day, yeah. friends, a couple of friends of mine, they um they have like a, a live workspace like in kind of um 
you know, I guess like almost like a warehouse type space. And they've been living there for 10 years and um, they've been just asked to leave and they're turning into condos and they have to leave immediately, like within the week. You know? Wow. Yeah, it's pretty ruthless. they've been ruthless. there for 10 years. They've been there for a decade, yeah. And they have to leave like just like that. Yeah, it's pretty heartless, you know. And you said Montreal uh, uh, factors in the artists. What do you mean by that? Well, it's it's as a city, it's just you feel like the the, the arts are um, just a major part of the lifestyle there. But it's also on like a political level too. Like you know, the the government they you know they really support the arts in in a more concrete way. Like they'll have like um, there's so many different kinds of like you know music festivals and there's like mural and there's like all these cool things. But it's like all coming from like the infrastructure of the city and 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 um, there's a lot more protection for people who rent. That's the other thing is there's like all these rules where like the only way they can, you know, a landlord can get you out of a place is if they say like one of their family members is moving in or something, you know, like it's like extremely hard and there's lots of rent control there. It's like everyone I know, they've got the same like $500 apartment that they've been living in for like 10 years and like they just give it to another person, they give it to another person. So it's like the problems that we have here in Toronto, like they don't exist there. It's kind of crazy when you think about Montreal is also world like a, a, a one of the top cities in the world and you know like people consider internationally consider Montreal as the top spot. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it, that kind of environment gives you so much time to just be creative and be an artist. Like I know so many artists who like have to leave Toronto; they can't afford to live here anymore. Mm. You know, and it's like when those people leave. You know, these are the people who like built up and and made some of these neighborhoods cool. You know, that's the thing about gentrification is that it preys upon the people that make it possible, right? And this this is what I'm talking about in this song. Is it's like there's a human price to to this gentrification that's like bigger than just like oh I can't live in this neighborhood. Like it's it's like an endemic. And it destroys neighborhoods over a long period of time. Like I've seen this in Edmonton where there's all these heritage buildings that, you know, they were hundreds of years old and stuff. And they're just, you know, they just get rid of them so like flippantly. And, you know, it's, it becomes like this kind of like flat landscape of all like mini malls and stuff. And and, and it's there's nothing from before like 1975. You know, it's like these are the things that, you know, make L.A. and New York and all these places in Europe so special is that they they take care of their history and they protect it and they fold it into the future of the city. Right. So mm -hmm. I don't know. That's that's basically what I'm railing against on this song. Hmm. Yo, thank you for that. And making it in the way of people are like it's music, it's entertainment, but still you're 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 spitting stuff out uh, in the music as well, too. After this album, I'll be running for mayor of Toronto, by the way. So. It got my vote, my G. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm on. That was my stump speech. Let's go. More housing now. More housing. Yo, that's like it's 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 a it's a very real thing that a lot of people uh, uh, think about, and uh, now that there's all this energy because of the arts uh, in the city. Do you feel, by the way, like the energy in Toronto, like the uh, that that is, you know, like the artistic energy, or like is there like a vibe in the air in Toronto since we came from Montreal, or no? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Like, it's, it, it, there's so much energy. It's, like, really hype. Like, yeah. in, in, in a way, like, it feels like the world is watching, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, like, there's all this, like, competitive energy. Like, when I hear about all these, like, young rappers coming up all the time, um, it makes me just want to be doper. You know, and it's like I see what I see how they're moving and it makes me, you know, want to want to get, you know, get to where they're at in the city. You know, like it, it, it makes me feel good. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't always have that in every city that I live in, you know? Yeah. 
You, I, I believe you said that you felt productive when you, you became productive, like really productive. When yeah, you I mean, a lot of these songs that yeah. um, that I wrote for this album were mostly during the period of time that I lived here. So just really in the last couple of years, like I just amped up my production. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, there's so many different studios, so many people to work with, so many producers, you know, like, you know, a guy like Francis Got Heat, you know, just, just having those people like in the community and just around is just um, an incredible resource. Yeah, and that's because it's... When you have those that, that type of people and talent or whatever, what like, you're gonna work. Yeah, definitely. What else are you gonna do? No, I mean, yeah. well, it's yeah. like you kind of also Toronto's a city where it's like you have to. You know, it's like if you don't, you just get like spit up and out of the city. You know, it's like you gotta find find a way to make a way here. You know, mm. you know, and that kind of like external pressure is uh, very positive for me, like creatively. And it isn't. Is it, is it, it a positive it's, thing? It's very positive for me, yeah. but like for yeah. some people, it isn't. Some people don't like it, and and then like they bounce, but um, I, I'm by, liking it. What are you talking about when you say some people are they creatives or just or, or just no? in general? Generally in general, speaking, yeah, like yeah. you know, is it, it doesn't work for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, especially coming from a place in Mo- like Montreal where like the creative pace is just so leisurely, you know. That that might be a reason why I didn't put out a record for like five years is that I didn't really feel the urgency to. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I was, I was DJing all these after parties. I was, you know, I wrote a book of poetry. I, I, you know, I was, I was doing all kinds of other things and just being like an experimental, like creative person. Um, but there was not that urge to be like, okay, like you got to get back to like your, your main thing that you do. You know, what people know you for. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was like, some. It, it's possible to go on a permanent vacation there. True. So it's kind of like the West Coast, because I hear that from the West Coast as well, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. people are like, there's not like the the East Coast, Toronto, New York got that like, you feel the difference between that and the West Coast, well, right? It's almost like, yeah, West yeah. Coast, it's like, it's so nice there. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, you can just have like a really nice life and just not have to like yeah. hustle like and like, yeah, put out mm-hmm. all these records and stuff, you know, like. That's another thing. I, I wonder like how winter affects us here. When it's minus 15 or minus 17 with wind chill right now, and it's like that for like five months. I mean, what else are you going to do? Let's like, let's be creative. You know, I think that's where like so many of these like classic Canadian records come from is that isolation, that period of time where it's kind of like there there really are no distractions, you know? Like before I was here, I was working on music because, you know, it's not like I'm outside like hooping. (laughs) I can't do shit. (laughs) You can't do nothing. Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. Banzoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. Choose from hundreds of mobile-friendly themes. Then customize your design and content in a few clicks with Banzoogle's easy visual editor. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including tools to sell your music and merch commission-free right on your website, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, Integrations to pull in content from all your online services like Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. And live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Banzoogle plans start at $8.29 a month and include your free custom domain name. Go to banzoogle.com to try it for free for 30 days and be sure to use the promo code CHEDO15. That is C-H-E-D-O 15 to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. Banzoogle. Websites built for musicians by musicians. We're gonna take it back, man. My G. Yes. Uh, we're gonna get some some history because uh, 
First of all, as you said, you're from uh, you're from Edmonton. Yes, that's right. And your dad is uh, is uh, an, uh, was a pioneer like hip hop DJ mm-hmm. at CJSR yes. uh, FM, which is like a it's a well known station across Canada, and they raise a lot of money as well too. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, I was at CHRW in London. Uh, and I worked for a couple of years as a program director, and I would always look at like how much money they raised, the, how much support they would get when mm-hmm. it come, when it came to fundraising, all that type of stuff. But your did your father brought hip hop into Edmonton? Is that true? He is the guy. Yeah, no, he introduced what was, uh, his name. His name was Teddy Pemberton, but he went by T E D D Y. That was how he would say his name. Introduce himself on the radio. Yeah, yeah, and his show was called The Black Experience and Sound. You know, so he's playing funk, R and B. When did he start the show? When did the show begin? Uh, he started in, I think, nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. Yeah, yeah. Playing hip hop in Edmonton on playing, the radio. And he's he's originally from Brooklyn, so he okay. he brought all these records oh, that he would be so getting there, and he would come back, and he'd have like stuff way earlier. Like wow. obviously, this is pre-internet. You know, yeah. So, yeah. And when he first like started a hip hop show in Edmonton in the eighties, was there like uh, flack? I don't think so, not okay. really. I think people were just like, wow, this is like some radical new music, it's exciting. And I think a lot of people were inspired, you know? People come up to me all the time and they tell me, you know, it's like your dad is the reason like I started rapping, or like mm. your dad's the reason like I got into DJing and stuff, and it's like, it was like, you know, must listen radio. You know, it was like every Saturday night, people were just like locked in. He was in. on every Saturday, what was the yeah. time slot? Uh, it was It was like, 8 to 11, I think, or something. Wow, really yeah. good time slot. Saturday, yeah. 8 p.m. Primo. to 11 p.m. And and yeah. he, he, he used to do some really cool things. Like, he, he wasn't just playing rap. He wasn't just playing one genre. Yeah. But he had, like, certain songs that he would always play as, like, it was almost like part of his routine. So, uh, you know, starting in the 90s, mm-hmm. he would open up his show with uh, Nas, New York State of Mind. Mm-hmm. Right? Open it up with that. And some point during the show, he would play Jimi Hendrix. He'd play Machine Gun, mm-hmm. you know. And in, in the same show, he'd be playing like some like kind of almost like Quiet Storm R and B. Like Phyllis Hyman was like an artist who play every every show. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd do things like he'd play the uh, 2001 Space Odyssey theme. Wow. You know, like he, it was very like experimental for the time. You know, this is like pre like mashup era. He was just playing whatever he wanted to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you you were growing up around this, yeah. Like when, like so, how long did he do the show for? From nineteen eighty until when? I mean, two thousand one, two thousand two. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So he's definitely a fixture, and and it was like in Edmonton, it's like everybody knew him, and like. All, all the kids in school when I was growing up, like they were like, "Oh, your dad's like the coolest," you know. Yeah. He, he'd roll up to school. It'd be like, like my grad, and he'd be wearing like a long sleeve DMX shirt, you know. And then <laughs> and, there was X. <laughs> yes, it was literally that one. Yeah. Yeah. That crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's really dope. And uh, and then who else? Uh, your grand your, before that even your grandfather, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He's already a legend as well. Too, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandfather, yeah. his name's Rolly Miles, and yeah. he. Uh, played for the Edmonton Eskimos, mm-hmm. and uh, he was uh, a big legend for that team. He he won three Grey Cups. Um, he's in the Hall of Fame, the CFL, and there's a field named after him in Edmonton um, called uh, Rolly. A, fo- a football field or like a park? Just an athletic field. Wow. Rolly Miles Athletic Field. Yeah. Rolly Miles Athletic Field. Yeah, which is, I, I was almost going to call my album that, actually. That was the working title for my album. Yeah? Yeah, because yeah, well, there was like a lot of like, 
you know, uh, family references and stuff. And then on the record. Yeah. And yeah. then I just made it, you know, it's, it's just me. Yeah. Because you know? it rep- you felt like it represented you better rather than your whole family. Or? Yeah, I think so. It was more about me in that way. Dope. And who else? Uh, so your uncle as well, too. Yeah. Brett Miles. Yeah. So a he, big inspiration, huge inspiration. He's yeah. the guy who got me into um, really inspired me to rap so much because like I would tell my family and stuff. Yeah, I'm rapping. And they'd be like kind of skeptical. But I told Uncle Brett and he's just like, tell me more. Show me some more tracks. You know, like you wow. want to come play? You know, he would bring me to the bars and I'd be like, you know. 13, 14, and I'd be just like sitting in with the band, mm. you know? So that's when I first like learned how to perform live is I'd be like with like a 10 piece funk band, you know, at the sidetrack cafe. You played funk. Okay. Funk music, yeah. yeah. The band was called Megillah Funk Conduit. Megillah Funk Conduit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And is it true that he played with what, Mick Jagger? Is that true? Or that's what, true, man. What did he do? He, he was like a heavy kind of session musician. He lived in New York for many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that time, you know, he'd open for people like Buddy Guy. He uh, he did play on a Mick, rec- Mick Jagger record. Um, uh, it was like a single that came out like in the early 90s. I can't remember the name right now. Mm. But um, And he also played with James Brown. As well. Wow. So like he's definitely heavy in the funk game, you know. That's amazing. So you you were saying that you you know you're uh, I'm rapping now. Where did that influence come from to rap? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it just I I, I noticed myself like I I grew up around rap. I've been listening to it all the time, and it was really like there were some moments when I was in school like where it was like I'd be in math class maybe like grade seven or something, and I'd just be you know. Me and my friend Devin, we used to like take our sheets of rap and we'd like show each other what we were writing. And this was maybe around like when Eminem had come out. It must have been because it was like everybody wanted to do that style. So it was like I was on some like, you know, like, yo, I'm going to skydive drinking a Mai Tai, <laughs> like trying to like rap like him. Yeah. And I remember that was like probably the earliest I started like writing raps, mm. you know. But then I would get instrumentals and I would just like try and rap. And some of the instruments, I remember I'd get the instrumental for Halftime by Nas and I would just like practice rapping over that. You know, another one is like. How did you get it? Off. Um, I must have been just the singles. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I had like, there were like singles in the house and they had the instrumental on them. Right? Oh, wow. Like okay. the vinyl records and stuff. Okay. Yeah. And then like eventually it was like early internet. So I was just like on LimeWire downloading like. LimeWire, Kazaa, you know, all that stuff. Like it's like Jay-Z instrumental, you know, and like Hope is actually Jay-Z. Hope is actually Jay-Z. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Yo, Eminem was a game changer, no? He actually was. Like, yeah. I don't know. He was, he was definitely low-key. Like, so many rappers won't cite him, but, you know, because it's, like, kind of, like, basic or something. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it was, like, Eminem, Nas, Jay-Z. Like, th- those were really the, like, mainstream rappers that, like, got me into it. And then it's, like, I started, like, digging for more. I was, like, really getting into, like, the deep Wu-Tang members and stuff. You know, like, I love Ghostface was always my favorite. But, you know, I really had a thing for Capadonna's style, too. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just so, like, off-kilter and, like, kind of, like, offbeat. And I really found myself gravitating towards rappers like that. You know, like him, like, you remember Gravediggers? Yes. Uh, too Poetic from wow. Gravediggers was, like, one of my all-time favorite MCs. You know, it's just like such a fresh style, like you know, and such like ODB, and you know, and then we it got into like, oh, I'm getting more into underground, so it was like Raz Kaz mm. and Feral Monch, you mm. know, like that kind of raucous era, you know, that those were the people who really started inspiring me. Wow. Yeah. And but growing up in Edmonton, you know, um, in terms of like identifying with hip hop or 
could you share the, your love and your experience of hip hop with your classmates or anything like that? I mean, at the time, initially, not really, because yeah. it, it hadn't really blown up to the point where where rap was like a known quantity mm-hmm. everywhere, you know. So it was it was really. Uh, I remember the first rap record that really like blew up was Fifty Cent, uh, Get Rich or Die Trying, where it was just like it was playing out of every classroom it seemed like it was crazy mm. um and and then like people would get into like dr dre and like eminem basically that whole like camp you know but there wasn't anything deeper happening i'd try to show people like all these i i got into like i would import all these like underground rap cds and people just thought it was like really weird you know mm. like i got that cannibal ox cd like when it came out wow you know and i was just like you gotta listen this is the best rap ever and people were just like not on that level yet you know and so, like, did you continue, like, did you keep it to yourself, or, like, how did that, like, uh, affect you as a hip-hop listener? Well, for me, I, I started really getting into the internet, you know, and that's where it really started, like, exploding for me, where I found all these different communities, like, there was, like, rapmusic.com, mm. <laughs> which is, like... Such a generic... So uh, generic, but they actually had a, they had a message board, yeah. you know, and they had all these people on there, and they were all rapping, and you could go in there, and you could write, like, a story rap, and it would be a competition who had written the best story rap. You know, you could have a thing where it was like people were using their computer mics and stuff to, you know, spit verses and you send it and it would be like a battle online. Like it was like, it's really funny. I don't know if that even exists anymore. It just seems like it's like insane. But there was like an era where that was like a thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I started finding out about all these like underground rap, you know, uh, websites that would review albums that like I'd never heard of and stuff like Hip Hop Infinity and like Mm -hmm. Underground Hip Hop and um, that's when I started learning about like, you know, that's how I first heard Buck 65 wow. was through these websites, not through being in Canada, you know? Wow. You know, and then I, I started finding the records cause they were getting imported only one place in Edmonton and that was listen records and listen I records. listen records and I lived right by there and I would be there like, you know, 12 hours a day, you know, not working, just like hanging out there when I wasn't in school, you know, like on the weekend or like in the summer, I was there every day. It was like I was working there and I just like listen to everything. You know, really? And, and I just hang out and like bug customers. And that's how I started meeting some like musicians too. Like who? You know, that's how I first met um, a guy named Nick Kozub, hmm. who's the guy who recorded me and for my first album, for Breaking Kayfabe. You know, he would come in like he'd have, you know, he'd be picking up tickets from some show he was putting on, you know, and I'd be like, yo, man, like, you're the guy, you're like DJ guy or something, you know, it's like, he just seemed like such a like incredible, like huge figure. And then eventually we become like really contemporaries, you know, where we would DJ together and like we throw all these events and mm. yeah. How did you start getting into DJing? Getting into DJing, I just started doing that. Like it wasn't off from my dad really. It was like, I was like. You had turntables at home, your dad did probably or? Uh, he or had no? like one turntable. It was okay. more when I, when I kind of moved down on my own and I got my own turntables and I taught myself how to mix and it was really, I wanted to play electronic music though. Like I was DJing a lot of like techno and house and you know, that's probably how that side of my music came into it. You know, it's when I was like initially learning to DJ. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you start taking music seriously? I'd say probably, you know, I made a mixtape called uh, Cadence Weapon is the Black Hand. And that had some of the early songs that were on Breaking Kayfabe. And I was like selling that like hotcakes, you know, it was like everywhere. I was in like Edmonton. in Edmonton. I was in every bar. I was like, yo, do you love real hip hop? Like I was him. I was that guy. 
Um, but I, people were buying it. And it was like totally, people were into it, you know? I, yo, I love that. Right? And I was like, Yo, do you love real hip hop? I was like, Yo, do Tell you Tell me the pitch, please. Yeah, no, it was like, yeah, it was yeah, like that, but I was, yeah. like, I was a little slicker with it, I think. Okay. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and it was like not only there, but I was like hustling online too, where I was like, you know, hitting up these blogs and stuff. And then I started my own MP3 blog, you know, which was called Razorblade Runner. And Whoa. Yeah. And it was like I would post like whatever rap songs I liked and stuff. And it started getting some traction. And I put my own music on there. And people would like that's how I started getting label interest and stuff was off my blog. Wow. You know, so there's and like this, this would have been two thousand and what, five, four, three? Like earlier, like really, like oh, like two thousand three. Yeah. Two thousand three, two thousand four is when, when that, that was popping. Wow. Yeah. So you had like you were just posting up MP3s. This is so funny back in these days where you don't. It was crazy though. Yeah, no, it was wild, wild west. Oh, it was totally like getting like you didn't want to get that email from like Universal Records, you know? Like, yeah, it was it was a different era, you know. Um, But like at the same time around then, I was starting to get in with like the rap scene in Evanston, which like I I wasn't aware of when I was younger. But like once I was old enough to go to bars and stuff, I started meeting other rappers and stuff. Like Touch and NATO, Hmm. they were like really supportive. Uh, a lot of DJs helped me out a lot. You know, the guy Sonny Grimes, mm. uh, Mark Paz. Mm. These were all like, they were like the cool rap DJs who would DJ at Black Dog and had shows on CGSR and they were like more established and stuff and like a lot older than me. Mm. So that's like, they, they were like my gateway into the scene. I remember there was like also uh, this guy, Benny Alim, who uh, was one of the first people to record me too. I should shout him out. Because he used to have a clothing store called The Layup in Edmonton. And he would record people there after uh, closing hours of the store. And I would just go and hang out there. And then after he, like, before I was of age, sneak me into rap shows and stuff. I remember that's how I first saw um, Peanuts and Corn out of Winnipeg, you know. And, like, you know, it was, like, John Smith and Pipskid playing. And that was the first time I saw some rappers from Canada, you know, in person. And that really was, like, revolutionary for me. Because they were, you know... Not from not that far from me in Winnipeg, mm. and uh, you know I was. You were just like, like, "Yo, these are serious musicians. They're real rappers, and yeah. they're from Canada. And it's like not like you know the people. You know, obviously, like people like Cardinal and stuff. It felt so distant because it was just on through the TV. Yeah, you know, and it just seemed like across the country. But it was like these other like Prairie dudes. You know, it felt really real. So that that was a, a major inspiration for me. Wow. So you were very active, eh? Like. You're really active in terms of like getting like out and about in the scene, like you're like really, really engaged. Yeah, heavily. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even just from a very young age, I just kind of had that impulse for some reason. Do you feel like it was influenced by like your pops at all or just or no? I, I mean, a little bit, but yeah. I mean, it was just in a different, such a different way. Like my dad, he didn't like the same rap as me necessarily, too. That's so there was already true. that generational difference, you know, yeah. like, like when he got the Eminem promo, he was just like, take this shit, you know, like he didn't want it. Was it only generational or was it also a difference between Canadian and American hip hop? Because back yeah. then there was. Oh yeah. He didn't get the Canadian rap at all. No, right. Whatsoever. Like he wasn't. He's from it. Brooklyn. He's basically going the States, get like playing all this stuff. There is, you know. He was heavily New York bias. You yeah. Know? Like he, like we did, couldn't even listen to Tupac in the house. That's another thing. Back then, like if you're oh. from New York or the East Coast, you were biased towards, you know, what, like LA was biased towards New York and vice versa. No, no, it was one or the other, you know. And it was like, that was like part of my rebellion too. Is like I'd get into like 
hieroglyphics, you know? And like, I was like, yeah, this is West Coast. You know? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so where did it go from there? Yeah, from there, I eventually, um, you know, like I'd, I, I got really well known in the rap scene. I was just opening up for like anybody who came to town. I remember um, who, who are some people I opened up for? I, I, I opened up for Questlove when he was mm. DJing in Edmonton. Pretty much any notable rapper who'd come through, I would open for them. And, and who, was, uh, who was booking you? Um, a guy named Brent Oliver, usually, mm. or Eli Klein. They were like the big promoters at the time. Mm. Um, but yeah, eventually I got signed to this label in Toronto uh, called Upper Class, and they're like a super small label. But um, they had a, a really good vision for for where I could go, and they had some connections with like other label, bigger bigger like entities. Like I think they used to work at like Universal Records and stuff. Like distribution deals. Or yeah, like yeah. Okay. They had like you know like they definitely like saw the potential of what I had, so I ended up working with them. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you reco- what did you, you released? What did you release with them? I released my first three albums with them. The first yeah. three albums. The first three albums. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, leading up to the first album. Tell me about that, that releasing that and putting that out and working on that. Wow, I mean, that was a really exciting time because it was like, oh, it's real. It's becoming real. Like, once I had that real CD and, you know, like, it it was amazing because I got so much, like, positive press, all these great reviews. Like, I was getting in, like, New York Times, like, everything. Like, it was crazy, you know? In New York Times. Yeah, yeah. People were just like, yo, this is, like, something to listen to. This is, like, you need to check this out. You know, like, it's like in a... I was in like BBC, you know, and like and wow. just all all over the world. Is this because upper class was working it, or, or no? What? Well, they they helped, but it's yeah. like it, the music was very original, and I think it really stood out, like just around the world as being like you know a totally new sound. What well, was the sound like? You know, and this is around so the albums like say two thousand and five. Yeah, right? I mean, it didn't sound like any other rap that was out at the time. You know, it was like heavily electronic. It um it was really gritty and like insular and and strange. And I think it really helped me stand out, you know, not only in Canada, but just around the world. Wow. Yeah. Were people, because you know how people, you said it didn't sound like anything else, but were people comparing it to anything like New York Times or BBC? Because usually they like to make those comparisons. I mean, not even really. Like the only thing people would compare it to was like video game music. Whoa. You know, and like they would say maybe like my rap style recalled some of my influences. You know, they I, I remember hearing like Dell, you know, or like... You know, like some of the, I definitely was coming from this like world of, you know, I grew up listening to all that underground rap and having that certain kind of ethos, but with this heavy electronic music, which I think was very strange for the time. You know, it's like it was years before Yeezus. Mm-hmm. You know, like it wasn't like that normal to make music. Even like when that. Yeezus came out, people were like, "What the hell is this?" No, and I was I saw a reflection in the mirror. I was like, "Wow, this is like I I remember that period of mm-hmm. my career." <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So that came out, and what what had happened from because of that release? Well, yeah, I ended up yeah. like touring the world, you know, like the I, world. Yeah, I was Where? all over the place, all over Europe. Played in you know Germany, and you know I, I played all these festivals. I played Roskilde in Denmark, and I played you know Splash Festival in Germany, and I played um, this this festival in Lyon, you know, like. I was all over the place. I played Glastonbury. Wow. You know, uh, I played Lollapalooza, you know, uh, Pitchfork Music Festival. I played all kinds of stuff. You know, it was crazy. It was like, that was like between my first album and my second one. Okay. And it was around that whole era. Okay. So yeah. between 2005, 2008. Yeah. Yeah. And we're like, how did you handle this? Like performing at Glastonbury in your 1920 or something like that. 
I mean, I was. How like did just, you do that? I was just a total asshole. <laughs> yeah. I was just like a cocky. The ego got like yeah. the ego was there. I, I definitely yeah. wasn't like very humble about it at the mm. time. You know, like I look back on it, and I was just yeah. like, oh, I I could have like, um, handled things with more humility. I think the idea was that I was just so excited about what I was doing. So I come back to Edmonton, I'd be like, yo, I was just at Glastonbury. I did this. I did this. Yo, 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 check out this new stuff I'm making. And it was like wearing thin on people, I think a little bit. I can imagine in Edmonton. And it's like, you know, I'm a young person and I never really did anything. So I'm very excited. Damn, you got haters for sure. Severely. Yeah. But, um, you know, I look back on it and I'm like, it, you gotta was, be like very conscious of that, right? Although, I mean, like, you gotta like try to be humble. Hindsight yeah, is twenty yeah. twenty. Yeah, right? yeah, it's like yeah. easy to say now. Yeah. Because yeah. at the time, I I thought I was wasn't being that bad, but yeah. Now I I look back and I was like, ah, oh, it's kind of a jerk. That's, I guess I just felt like too, like I'm yeah. making this music that like didn't exist before. What I felt like was totally original, and it was mm-hmm. like I was like, I was kind of like fuck everybody. <laughs> You were like, fuck everybody. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 I was at That's that time. That's hilarious. Right? I'm surprised that people didn't say fuck you first. Uh, well, I definitely yeah. got a lot of fuck you first. Yeah. But then, and then I got fuck you after. <laughs> so it's like I got kind of what I deserve, basically. And so what happened then? You had to leave Edmonton, possibly? Or? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, I did have to leave Edmonton. <laughs> I mean, it got, it got to the point, it was more like, um, people were telling me like, yo, um, what do you what, why are you still here you know i would get that i go to the bar and somebody'd be like why are you still here you know you're trying to be you know big fish in a small pond mm. you know and it was like you know it was it wasn't like people being like keep up the great work you know like it was more just kind of like people wondering were, why uh, i was there where people were uncomfortable with your presence yeah yeah where it was like yeah it was it, i would i would go to somewhere and like have headphones around my neck and then like somebody would be like Caden's weapon. He was at the bar and he had his headphones around his neck, and you know he was just was so pretentious. Listening to himself. Yes, right. That's so funny. Yeah. So when did you, de- you left, or how long did you stay in Edmonton after well, that, all that? That was around when I became poet laureate. Too. Okay. So it's just just keeps getting. Oh my god. More and more. Damn. Yeah, and. So what yeah. did, what does that do mean when you're poet laureate? What is it? What does that position entail? Well, I yeah. became the literary ambassador okay. of Edmonton for two years. Okay. And so basically there's all these like different city events where it's like, you know, ribbon cutting, I'm there dropping a poem, you know, or like I was talking to all kinds of students at different schools and stuff about the importance of music and poetry. And, you know, and I, I'd, I'd be a part of like different like city initiatives such as like the, there'd be a new like train station opening and I'd like write a poem and it would be chiseled into the ground of the new station mm. so there's like there's stuff like that are all around Evanston. like there's all these uh on jasper avenue which is like the main street downtown there's um one of my poems that i wrote there's like flags going across the whole street and it's uh it's been up there since like 2010 i think wow yeah so i made an impact in, in, with that the poetry for sure you really got haters bro <laughs> <laughs> But it's like I, I don't I definitely feel the love these days. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, I feel like I don't know. You go through your uh, your growing pains and stuff when you're young. It's yo, it's awesome, and like I I would love like what are the things that you've learned from that, from uh, and that you could pass on to the person who's listening right now who is eighteen, nineteen, mm-hmm. and thinks they're this shit. Yeah, I mean, the number one thing is just like 
there's like always another level you can get to. Right. And so it's when you get to a level that you're like, I can't believe I'm here. You got to act like you've been there before because there's another level to get to. You know, it's like before I before I came here, I got I was on the phone with one of my rapping heroes. Like right now, right here. Today, before got to the studio. today. Yeah. I okay. had a phone call because we we're on a song together. Okay. That we're working on right now. Okay. And I don't want to. I don't want to save right now, just to like you know. I don't yeah. want to jinx the whole thing. Okay. But you know, and talking to him and him being like, "Yeah, man, I like I feel what you're getting into," you know, and like, you know, this is somebody I listened to in high school, you know, that, that I was just talking to you about, and it's like, that's cool, but I need to still be like chill about it because it's like there's levels to this. There's so many levels, and it's like the humility will get you further. That's the thing that I've really learned, you know, ever since all those experiences, you know, when I, when I was younger, I've definitely, and you know, just also just dealing with the industry and like, you know, it, it'll chew you up and spit you out, you know, and you have to learn how to like reform yourself after you get chewed up. Mm. Humility will get you further. Mm-hmm. Why? I feel like there's your average rapper they they act like Kanye mm-hmm. without working like Kanye, right? It's like it only works if you're literally the best of the best. You can only have that attitude of like I'm number one if you really are, you know. And you know, there's a whole thing of like fake it till you make it, whatever, whatever. But honestly, it's like it wears really thin if if you don't have the chops. And you know, you most of the time when you're a young artist, you really you're really not on that level. So. I think the humility, especially when you get in the room of like really established artists, nobody has time for that shit. You know, and it's like it becomes about like, let's finish this song. You know, like let's let's like do the problem solving and leave the ego outside. You know, that's like what it's like in real music. You know, the, the people who act like super pretentious, like assholes, like I used to back in the day, they're people who haven't really done any shit, which is what I was at the time. I hadn't really done any shit yet. <laughs> in, the, in the big picture, you didn't in the know, big picture, yeah, 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 yeah. But in that time, you thought you did, yeah. So what happened after that? <laughs> uh, so after that, uh, eventually, I did. I moved to Montreal. Mm-hmm. Moved to Montreal, and why Montreal? Montreal. I had some friends who had already moved there, like who were in some bands, and I would see pictures of them, and they looked so happy. And they looked like they were having fun and they were just like making weird music and they had a bunch of face paint and then they just looked like they were, it was just total freedom. And that's what I really wanted at that time. I felt kind of like a lot of pressure about my place in the city and also just like where I was going to go from there musically. And I was just like, I need to just kind of like, I also felt like I needed to leave some room for somebody else to take the spot in a way mm. honestly i felt like i didn't want to be like clogging up all the opportunities that's kind of how i felt at the time uh so yeah i went to montreal and i had a really great time i, I met all these great artists in all different fields everyone i met if seemingly was an artist you know and it really like pushed me to like i really feel like there was me before living in montreal and there's me after and i feel like that's where i really became like the, the freaky version of me you know, whereas like I was always like kind of like messing around trying to get to a level of like experimentation with my music. But living in Montreal, I really reached it and I just became more experimental in like every way. You know, like I, 
you know, I was like throwing all these different events and, you know, I got into all these different scenes where it was like, yeah, I had like a week, like a bi-weekly poetry night and I had like DJ nights and I was DJing like 10 times a month, you know, and I was like just creative, like boom, like everything, you know, like I published a book, you know, like I was just like flexing, you know, and the whole time I was also making music, but it became less and less of a priority because my life, quality of life there was like excellent. I was, I was having so much fun and I was just, you know. Also, like, Montreal has just, like, the most beautiful girls in the world, you know, and uh, it's, it's, you know, just all these great, cool artists to hang out with. It was just a great mm -hmm. time. Were you also learning French, or did you know French before that, or no? I didn't know French before that, and I, I learned, like, passable French, but yeah. I'm not really great. So you don't, need, you don't really need French to get around, or no? I, w I wouldn't recommend going there not knowing French. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that, but I was able, just because of the way that I worked, like, I, I didn't have to, like, work a job. Like, I was just DJing or, like, mm. doing musical things. So it was just, it was all in English. Yeah. So I didn't really need to. But mm. I would highly recommend knowing the language before you move there. 100%. <laughs> if you try to live. Yeah. 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 Make it and do a job. Okay, dope. Mm. So, wow, Montreal was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was really fun. And then I came yeah. out with Hope and Dirt City. Yeah. Which was a record that I felt like was split up half Montreal, half Edmonton. You know, like, and I made half of it in Montreal and half of it in Edmonton. So it really reflected the vibes of the two cities, I felt like. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so Montreal is different, isn't it? It's very different. It's very, honestly, you can go there for, you know, just a few days and not hear any Canadian news the whole time. You know, like you, you, it's, it's, it's very insular. Like it's very Quebec, you know, like it's, you know, um, It really feels like you're in a different country in a lot of times, you know? Mm. And for that, it's very cool. Like, you can really, like, have tunnel vision and be focused. But you can also have tunnel vision in the bad way, too, where you're kind of only focused on, like, when's the next party? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, like, that that started happening. Where Because like, the, the whole fr uh, French type of living, like, is, is it, like, kind of like Paris? Is it, like, because, like, French <sighs> people are, like, liberal and, like, relaxed? Joie de vivre. What does that mean? Joy, joy, joie de, joie de leave. Yeah. Joy of life. Joy of life. Yeah. And that's, that is the way of life there. It's, you know, um, it's focused, you know, a lot of the time you, 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 you work towards having like a good time. That's like the main, you know, you work just enough to be happy. You know, I think people have a very uh, healthy lifestyle there because there is time set apart for like, you know, I'm going to go to the park and I'm going to have a bottle of wine and, you know, some croissants. And I'm just going to like hang out here and just really relax because, you know, on a weekday, like, humans should do that. Right. Yeah. I think it is very humane and normal. Whereas like here, it's like that's like people aren't really popping like that. Like it's like, yeah, I'll go to Trinity Bellwoods once this summer and like that'll be my re relaxation for the year or something, mm. you know. And and uh, you got distracted with that a little bit, obviously. I well, did. And you were like what, 23 or something like that, 24? Yeah, uh, yeah, I was mid mid 20s. Yeah. Mid 20s, you know, and that was yeah. just first yeah. time leaving home, Edmonton. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Like, yeah, that must have taken you. Yeah, definitely. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, it definitely swept yeah. me away. Like it got to the, swept you away. Yeah, it was this thing where I was. Um, I mean, all those experiences influenced a lot of my music, like what I write about. So it's like I never, you know trade them for anything you know on this album songs like the host and five roses and you know so many of the other tracks are inspired by that period of time my crew right but it's like during the time when it was happening it was kind of like i honestly felt like did you ever see that movie 24 hour party people 
No, I have not. Um, that's it's about Factory Records and and uh, Joy Division and all the bands and stuff. It felt like that. It felt like like it, it was just all about like when is the next event that we're throwing? When's the next rave? We were doing things like we would bring drive a bunch of speakers to the forest in Laval, and we would just have a party there. We would we would go into a clearing in a forest. Mm. And uh, I would DJ, you know, and people would just be raving, you know, on drugs and stuff. Wow. Um, that sounds like fun. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds it, it, def- <clears throat> I'm not going to lie. It was fabulous. It was a great time. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I wasn't making records. Instead, I was having those experiences, you know, like where it would be like, you know, and it was also hard to like find people who were like making the same kind of music as me. Like there's there's a francophone rap scene, but like they don't really mix with the anglophone rap scene that much. And there's like way more producers than there are rappers and you know, it's it's just a different vibe there. You know? So I had trouble like kind of navigating that. Mm. And because you're probably one of the guys like the influencers, leaders or or like you're not just an average dude who's just like, you know, you're the DJ or artist or creative. So people are kind of looking to you or or coming to you for for the parties or the good times. Yeah, and it became a thing where it was just like I was just getting all these different projects. And it was like I was super busy the whole time I was in Montreal. Okay. But those projects were all like in Montreal. And they were in this like specific community. So it was like people outside, you know, in the ROC as I call it, rest of Canada. ROC, rest of Canada. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's like Quebec. It's like there's the ROC and there's Quebec. Um you know, for the rest of Canada, it was kind of like, man, did he die? Mm. You know, like, where did where did Caden's weapon go? Like, what happened to him? Wow. You know? So that partly influenced me, you know, moving somewhere else. I mean, I got, like, infinite love for Montreal. You know, I was just back there for a week. And, you know, it's it's uh, it's uh, one of the most special places in the world. Mm. But um, it's good to be here, too. You know, like, I feel like, honestly, it's really easy to focus on you know well, the, the grind. Tell me about aspect. coming to the decision of like saying, "All right, I, I should leave." Well, I yeah, should go somewhere else. No, it was just like I really didn't think about it very long at all. Like it was just kind of like one day I had the opportunity. You know, I was talking um, with my girlfriend and she had a job opportunity here. And I was like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, let's go." You know, I came here and I you know I didn't really super know anybody too, and like I didn't really have like that many connections in the scene. It had been so long since I put something out, really. So I moved here in, I think, 2015. Yeah. So, yeah, it was kind of like starting over in a way. Yeah, the record before that was in 2012. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's like quite a few years absence. Yeah. Then I move here. And then it's just about like kind of regaining my footing, basically. Mm. Which, you know, it, it didn't, I don't know, like time is crazy. You know, it it, it really will fly by if you if you let it, you know. And I, I definitely, I was making music that whole time, but like, I wasn't happy enough with it to really be like, okay, I got, I'm going to put out a record just to put out a record. Like, I want to be able to get behind whatever I put out. You know, and it's like, that's how I feel about this album. Is it's like this is like me in a nutshell, and I'm like super proud of it. You know, and yeah. it's and it is really the sum of all these experiences. You know, everything that I've just talked to you about. It's like this is very cathartic. Actually, you should uh, you should charge for this. You know, like people. You know, people. People. I can't even laugh right now because I'm gonna (laughs) cough because I'm kind of sick. 
That's so funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, because when you put out music, uh, especially you're not that type of like your quality over quantity. You're not putting out, uh, say, 60 records in a year and it's going to be forgotten about. Uh, you really want to stand by it and you're going to be in conversations like this answering and, and explaining what it is. Yeah. You really have to think about it. Yeah, and I mean, I really, I want to have like a big focus around what I'm doing. You know, it's like, I love to have it in these different projects, these different records, because it's like, there's a whole, for the way I make records, it's not just like, I'm just going to make a song, make a song, make a song. It's just like, whatever the hottest ones are, are going to make the record. That's not really how it worked with me. It was like, there needs to be like a conceptual hole that is like worth it enough for me to put out a record, you know? Because like, I don't feel... Personally, I, I never feel pressed to put out a record. That's why I don't put them out that frequently. I never mm -hmm. feel like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, like, oh, I need to put out an album. Like, it's just like when uh, the muse is there, I put it out. Mm. Well, that's a, that's pretty good to not feel pressured then. Yeah, no, not at all. So I mean, it's like I'm just going to put out records the rest of my life, you know, and it's like whenever I feel like it. So, basically. you know, because a lot of artists I've had conversations with here on this tape, uh, on this seat. Uh, they put a lot of pressure on their music, not only to release music, but to like this being their meal ticket, this uh, music being able to feed them, to be mm. honest with you. And some people have suffocated their love of music mm. because it is not producing the way it's supposed to. So how are you able to not be in that same position? I feel like when you start putting the kind of like financial pressure on something that is creative... Um, it's counterproductive. Like I find, mm. you know, the thing that's always been su successful for me and why every, like my records have, you know, gotten acclaim or whatever and like people hear about them or whatever, whatever, is that I'm just honest with myself. I'm true to myself. And, you know, I make something that I can stand behind and creatively I'm happy with it and that's like good enough for me. I find you make records that start creative first. Um, the money will come. You know, like people respect something that's creative, you know, like people respect something they've never heard before. You know, it's like it's going to get to people eventually. You know, I guess it's just a, 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 it's about being patient, too, you know, because, you know, I'm not like, you know, I put out records that you need to listen to multiple times to really like get the the depth behind them. You know, and it's like I, I write records that are like books in that way. You know, it's like mm -hmm. I want you to live with these records. It's not it's not for streaming. It's mm -hmm. not just like, you know, you know it's not like the next like mixtape that you just heard yesterday like that you just are going to burn through like in a month mm. and then never listen to again like i'm trying to make something that's substantial you know that's the that's the era i grew up in so you know like the i i get it i get like the like you know it works for people you know putting out like put out a single put out a single put out a single and you know like one of those songs like hits and then it's like really good for them but it's like for me i'm trying to create a foundation of a long-term career you know, I'm trying to be on the level of, you know, the legends that, like, I grew up listening to, whether it's, like, you know, like, Kanye West, you know, he puts a lot of thought into his music, you know. You know, like, think about, like, how Pharrell, like, he puts a lot of thought into, like, the whole process and the concept around what he makes. It's, like, these are the people that I'm working against. Like, I'm not, like, really thinking about, like, whatever, like, the hot rapper is, like, yesterday or whoever's, like, on Rap Caviar tomorrow. Like, it doesn't move me. Mm. You know, I'm, like... I'm I'm I put out vinyl records in 2018. That's my wave. You know, it's like I'm trying to put out some some records that you know are gonna you know gonna be a physical object that are gonna last the test of time. You know, 
talk that talk. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm getting a little spicy, but you know, you get getting a little spicy talk about records. No, because that's how I feel. You know. Yes, I I appreciate that, but how do you not get distracted or mesmerized with what is happening right now? Of like. You know, there's artists who are trying to game the system, putting out a double disc album because it means more. I hate that. I hate that because it's so anti-musical. It's not about music. It's like this is commerce. It's supposed to be a tug of war between art and commerce. You know what I mean? It's not supposed to be commerce first. This is bullshit to me. You know, it's like I see those records like that Chris Brown album. I was heated when I saw it because I was like, these are the scraps of you, that you didn't you don't even care what it is you know you just need to have 38 tracks so you can like 45 you, 45 <laughs> songs um just to like you know make your it's like get a different job don't be an artist you know you want to do something that's about quotas and like it's a n- numerical based game like mm. hit fucking wall street you know yeah. this is we're artists here yeah you know, i'm a music artist i don't like that shit you know it's like I don't know. I this is why you know I don't mind putting out a record every five years because I promise if you're a fan of my music, I will never put out a bullshit forty-five song record ever. I'll never put out a bunch of fucking trash <laughs> just to like get my numbers up. Mm. You know, like I hate that. <laughs> and one of those artists that you know uh, you were inspired by, and that kind of fits into that. Qu- uh, quota of like putting out a lot of music is future mm-hmm. so first you said future was inspiration so tell explain oh no but yeah. i feel like he doesn't even really do that because okay. despite the fact that he put out two albums at the same time yeah they're quality albums they were both very thoughtful i felt like when they came out they totally dictated the terms of rap at that time it was a statement mm. you Hendri- know like hendrix and, hendrix and yeah. future hendrix yeah. was like the very like artistic creative like sensitive emotional side mm-hmm. and then like future like the album was like these songs are all good bangers these are all like huge club tracks so it's like he didn't put out any shitty songs on either of those records so i was totally cool with that Mm. feel free to put out 45 songs and like if 40 of them are good yeah go for it Mm. you know like and and he was conceptual with it too he's like these are the two sides of my personality like i thought that was really cool Mm. whereas like i don't know like I'm not trying to like diss all like the mainstream rappers but it's like it is just so transparent when you 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 listen through like a record that's like over twenty tracks, mm-hmm. and it's just like a slog. It is just like music's not supposed to be like work to listen to. Mm. You know, it's it's fun, right? So you you said what you said about future about being inspiring. You just explained it, and I want. Uh, I read. Uh, yeah, you did it, uh, an interview that was uploaded on YouTube, and a, a fan commented on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His name. I'll shout him out. Uh, this YouTube name is Zell eighty eight. And I'm quoting him. He says, Future is garbo trap music, man. You can't say his mumblecore lyricism is somehow as layered as Black Thought or even J. Cole. I own every Cadence album, but to hear him idolize Future makes me hurt. End quote. And to me, that's very sad because I see rap as such a broader thing than just like, oh, you, I'm, I make the records that I make, so, oh, I can only do, like, I only listen to, like, Talib Kweli or something. It's, it, why? You know, like, Spotify is great to me because you're able to listen to all kinds of different music. It is just like the, and it's democratized music. So I don't have a problem with mumble rap or whatever you want to call it because it's like, it's there for the people who want it. 
You know, it's like nobody's like forcing me to like listen to it. It's going to be there whether I listen to it or not. And good for them. You know, I feel like there's like there's different things you can get out of different rap. You know, I don't listen to that stuff for the lyrics. I'm also not listening to Gucci Gang for like, you know, like looking for like the source quotable of the year. Because like I'd be an idiot if I was trying to. No, for me, it's about the vibe with that music. That music is purely vibe based. You know, and it's like, you know, it, it is fun to listen to. It's easy to listen to. There's, it's obvious why people like it. With Future, it's like, there's two sides of rap here, okay? There's two aspects of rap. There's like straight up lyricism, and then there's style. And, and you know, like how you rap. It's like what you rap and how you rap. And sometimes you get both together and they're both great. And sometimes it's one or the other. Now, Future, there's a focus on how the rapping sounds, and for me, it was just a thrill ride, super exciting, new flows, every track. It was just like, he was just like coming through, like, and rapping in ways that people really didn't consider yet, you know? And for me, that was very exciting. It's very experimental. But then I also felt like it was lyrically very good, too. So it's like, for people who, like, just jump on the bandwagon of saying, like, oh, this mumble rap, like, yeah, it sucks. You know, it's like, if you think it's mumble rap, you're not really listening. You know, because, you know, when people say mumble rap, it sounds exactly like what people used to just say about all rap to me. Mm. You know, it's like this rap, it's crap. You know, and it's just like, I don't understand what they're saying. It's too fast. I don't get it. It's what they used to say about Rakim. You know, and now we think back and that's like almost like it's conservative rap. It's old, you know, mm. but it's like the same thing will happen to this mumble rap. That's the cool thing about rap is it goes in cycles and it like changes and it's really quick. But it's funny. It's like, you know, one day we're going to look up. And Lil Pump, he's going to be like an elder statesman, you know, and we're going to be looking at him the same way people look at T-Pain now. T-Pain was the most hated guy in rap for yes, so he long. Was. Yes. And then now yeah. he's in the fader and people are just like, wow, those records were good. Yes. You know, opinions change over time. That's crazy. And, and it's just like, because when somebody's doing something at the time, sometimes we can't appreciate it. You know, we, we're not on the same level of operation that they're at. You know, so for the commenter on that thing, I think you should go back and listen to Future and Hendrix, especially the song Sorry at the end of Hendrix, which I think is lyrically very cool. I think it's got a lot of cool ideas in it. And thank you for being a fan. And thank you for being a fan because my new album is also good. You like the first three. You'll like this one, too. You know, we should we should hang out. We should listen to Future sometime. It's an invite to the fan. That's jokes. Uh, yeah, we've been all over the journey. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's been going up and down. So I, I want you to share with me uh, a moment where maybe, you know, you have this big picture of what you want to do and how you make music or whatever. But was there a moment that you said, man, I'm not so sure about this music thing. Or this isn't fun. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. There are definitely some moments like that. I mean, when I toured my last album, Hope and Dirt City, I did a tour of the States. And in a lot of ways, it wasn't really set up um, properly. And there was just like logistical issues. And some of this, like it was it was an ro emotional roller coaster. There'd be like a show I'd play, you know, for a couple hundred people in Brooklyn. And then like, you know, I'd play like to five people in Detroit or something. You know, it's like it was just like really stressful. And like the whole time, like. I don't know, the, the infrastructure that I had around me, like my label and, you know, uh, the, my management and stuff, 
they in a lot of ways they weren't working you know in, with my best interest in mind you know where it was like it, it seemed like it was more about like keeping their label afloat and and less about like my career and the right thing for me and that was very troubling for me that was really hard you know especially when it was like I feel like I'm the only person doing the kind of music that I'm doing and like I don't have like a really good support system and you know I didn't know how I was gonna like get out of the situation whereas like I didn't know if I was gonna finish that tour and and that whole experience really like set me off to be like I need to like chill on music like I didn't make music really for like a a, a year really like after that tour 2013 around that time like I just like like went to the Montreal Vortex and didn't really like make any music because it was just like exhausting and super like discouraging mm. you know like I mean in, in a career like especially like I've had a long career I'm, I'm, I'm lucky because a lot of people you know they only get one record sometimes or they only get one hot track and then they actually never even make an album or like there's so mm. many different like career types that you can have especially specific in Canadian hip hop Canadian hip hop I've yeah. seen so many people come and go and so many people that I you know thought should have you know been respected more that didn't get to you know like shout out DL Incognito you know like I I was there for all this you know I remember all the rappers before me you know I I did the knowledge you know I I studied the people before me and um you know it's I, I feel blessed to have gotten this far, you know, and I feel like that's something that's the advice that I would give to somebody, you know, mm -hmm. like young rappers and stuff who are kind of like maybe feel like things are stalling or like, you know, their last track didn't do as good as the one before it or, you know, like they're trying to like get out of their town and like tour and stuff. and It's not really like happening. Like life is long, you know, and it's like as long as you keep just trying to push yourself and trying to be more creative and trying to just better what you're making, like. The cream, you know, it, it sits at the top. You know, eventually the best things, like, get found. It's very rare when something is, like, outstanding and it doesn't get discovered. So I just feel like, you know, you keep plugging away and eventually I think you'll find, you might find out something new about yourself, you know. And that's what I found just in the process of making this album is that I found that, I could rap in different ways than I never considered before, you know, like, or forgot that I used, to, I could rap that way, you know, like I could get back into the fast rapping and like, you know, just like kicking different flows and just being like inspired and just doing things, you know, that you wouldn't expect me to do, you know, and getting out of myself. And that only comes with having like so much time and space and being alone because, you know, it, it's like this fear of like being out of the spotlight for any amount of time, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's cool to like, take a break, you know, and like really take inventory of what you want out of your career and come back at it in a different way, mm. you know? What allows you to be this center and not to be pressured and not to be, you know, you just seem like you're at your own pace. I mean, I, I'm, I'm at peace with myself, you know, and that's the number one thing is like, I don't, I'm not affected by what happens to another rapper. You know what I mean? Like, I can't like hold myself up to the same standards as somebody who's, you know, on like Universal Records or something or like who has like a different infrastructure than me. Like I can only compare myself to myself. So it's just basically being having a good sense of self, a good knowledge of self and just being reliant on myself. You know, I'm not, you know, going to like I, I don't feel jealous of other artists ever. I don't feel it's good to be competitive.